Can you name a city that hosted a game at the 2002 World Cup? Should we say Tokyo? Out straight away. Whoa! What? Oh, what are the greatest answers of all time? OTB AM. Live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Now then, you're very welcome along to the show. So we are busy this evening. We've got Wednesday Night Rugby with Fiona Hayes and Liam Tolan talking about Ireland's defeat in the first of their five matches in New Zealand on this uh, rather historic tour. So it was a comprehensive defeat as well. Game was over at halftime. So Liam Toland and Fiona Hayes on the way. After nine o'clock, we will be talking all things Kilkenny Clare. Kind of an interesting rivalry. Basically never played in GA history and then suddenly played six times in nine years. So two of the protagonists involved, Eddie Brennan and James O'Connor going to join us and then obviously look ahead to the game on Saturday evening the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final and Luke Jensen always a very welcome guest is going to talk to us all things Wimbledon some shock Nick Kyrgios controversy (laughs) what? I know Nick Kyrgios? yeah Michael McCarthy hello hello Joe jump in there Richie McCormick jump in as well hello how are you, Joe? You well? Yeah, very well. So, Kyrgios, uh, spitting in the direction of a fan, he turned and faced a fan who I think had been uh, given abuse, so he spat in the direction. And then also not impressed with the quality of the, uh, not the umpire, but those around the court, the line Line people? judge. Line judge. Line judge. Well yeah. done. Line judge. Excellent. Now me and Joe haven't quite got into, we're more week two people. More week two, yeah. He's saying... All these guys, they're like 90. <laughs> what do they do near the can't see a thing? Which well, I think was a real refrain of McEnroe back in the day. He was yeah. like, you're just, they're too old to be doing this job. Why are they doing it? They're falling asleep. So that's been Kyrgios' start. And of course, Serena Williams bowed out last night in a yeah. rather epic match as well. Went so. out like a champion. Kyrgios, uh, do, do you find Kyrgios one of those characters that always, in the cold light of day, comes across brilliantly? Mm. And you want him to be so much better both as a tennis player and almost as a character than he is but just cannot avoid these kind of moments when he's in the heat of battle you know it's it's not like he's just this kind of like uh, like arsehole for want of a better word he seems like a great guy he's not 90% of the time you come away from his press conference and you think well there's a lot there to like yeah there is there's, and, and to be honest with you there's an amazing player in there somewhere like truly mm. probably in terms of like you, you know the way we talk about like street footballers as being these like naturally gifted people whose talents maybe don't transfer into the big bad world of professional football there's an element of that with Kyrgios maybe not street tennis but that he's got all the natural little gifts and flicks and tricks up his sleeve but if he was able to put them together into a you know coalescent match, then you know he'd be unstoppable. The problem is he concentrates too much on the mental aspect of things. And I even watched him last uh, yesterday because I, I was watching that match on BBC. I can't remember. It, it was one of the Todds Woodbridge or Woodford who's on commentary for BBC this year, and he was saying the thing about Kyrgios. Obviously, he's a fellow Aussie, and he was chastising him, basically saying the thing about Kyrgios who in his own head wants to bring tennis into the modern era and wants to bring a more youthful audience towards it and wants it to be less stuffy and calls out things like old line judges and all that 
Woodbridge pointed out like he's, it's not as if he's the first person to do that like you mentioned McEnroe like he, he was definitely one of them Jimmy Connors was another and there have been sundry others down through the years uh, whose names have probably all forgotten at this stage who all tried to be that bad boy who all tried to be that guy who can maybe rustle up a bit of youth interest in things and like Mick says Kyrgios just comes off as an asshole during the course of these things because like he's given out to people who can't defend themselves and I think the person who he spat towards or allegedly spat towards yesterday had just rather succinctly called Kyrgios an SH1T hmm. uh, and you know I think that was pretty yeah. on the nose from whoever managed to do that he was certainly complaining about abuse from fans and just to say because you're listening you're going oh my god Kyrgios spat at someone it really wasn't like that it was somebody way in the distance and he just was doing like a side show he was he was jogging towards the net at the end of a point or a game and then he, he turned specifically to do like a side shuffle and I guess in the direction of someone who could have been 20-30 metres away just spat at his own feet but it was almost a like kind this of is thing. what I think of you I spit yeah. at the side Pwah. At Pwah. Kind of, yeah. his exact quote by the way on the line judges is in the Guardian so he's, he's talking initially about someone just yelled out that I was SH1T in the crowd today is that normal? No it's happening over and over again I think it's a level of respect why do they feel it's acceptable? so this abuse from the crowd seemed to irritate him although he doesn't but he was seem already to see at it. the hypocrisy in uh, then abusing everybody else around him. So what he said about the two line judges with silver hair, says the Guardian, uh, who, who made rogue calls. These people are in their 90s. They can't see the ball. <laughs> Curious said. And then he also turned to one line judge who had made a point to the umpire about a, uh, a certain point and called the line judge a snitch. Oh, wow. As in don't grass on me so I don't know what, the what, what, what did they snitch on did, did they tell the umpire that the ball was out something in those <laughs> in the vicinity I presume their entire job or maybe something he had said but anyway it, it was like curious like don't be a snitch you know we're the cool kids down here at the back come on 90 like I have to say though if Wimbledon line judges are in fact 90 it's no wonder there's no ranking points available at this tournament <laughs> it's a disgrace yeah. no Robinsons either did you see that I did. Yeah, out. I saw the, the great tweet. I think yeah. it was Sean Nolan who said that the split was believed to be cordial. <laughs> Which I thought but probably won Twitter at least last week, if not all month. Oh, did it do well? Oh, it, it really did, it yeah. Won, won in terms of quality I was talking about. But yeah, in terms of in terms of numbers, Joe, hard numbers. Okay. Did pretty well, yeah. The news round is brought to you at Gillette Labs for an effortless finish <laughs> of your day. Richie McCormick clearing his voice there. he's getting ready he's got something big getting ready. oh he's got something big it's New Zealand rugby news Joe yeah. oh yeah so, I mean sometimes you do get an early sense of a tour in the depths of New Zealand winter and given the result and the injury toll starting to get a sense about what this tour could be more lines 05 than line 17 at the moment anyway Richie take it away yeah, Ireland's tour of New Zealand began on a bum note this morning in Hamilton. They conceded four tries in a 32 points to 17 defeat to the Mary All Blacks. Keane Healy had to go off injured, having himself replaced debut on Jeremy Lockman. There are also concerns over Jimmy O'Brien and James Hume ahead of Saturday's first test at Eden Park. Meanwhile, Farrell was asked about Lockman, who returned to the field despite taking an obvious knock to the head, which uh, left him dizzy in the first minute. The Ireland head coach, though, says Lockman was indeed OK to come back on. No, no, he actually passed his, he actually passed his HIA by independent doctor. Um, we, we brought him off as, as a precaution, so um, put Kian on and then that happens to Kian, which is, which is not nice really. So um, James Hume has a bit of a, a, a groin injury that needs assessing tomorrow. 
Fiona Hayes, Liam Toland on the way after eight o'clock to deal with, say, the Farrell clip for one as opposed to the performance, which we'll do in a moment. The Lockman incident, I suspect, is going to bubble up and be uh, uh, a worthy and worthwhile talking point and uh, bone of contention. So what happened here is Lockman in the first couple of minutes of the game, he makes a carry, he's bent low at the waist. You know these carries where they carry head first and mm. just like dive into the opposition, which always you think is just a recipe for yeah. something like this. So he is that carry where he's hinged at the waist and drives into his opponent who knocks him back and really does knock him back. And even on the... It was actually kind of slightly disconcerting even on the commentary after it was clear that Lockman had sustained a head injury. They're still saying, what a great hit it was. And yeah. Think, That's okay. I think uh, slightly yeah, behind us on the Northern Hemisphere on that front. But regardless, that's... Without a doubt, by the way, but we can get into that <laughs> over the next few yeah. weeks. Yeah. So Lockman to the eye is very visibly uh, frazzled, dizzy, yeah. has to be helped off the pitch and the... I would say... Are we talking Brian O'Driscoll against France in 14 kind of visuals? No, not as not as no. kind of wobbly, but like yeah. very, very ginger and like sitting down for a moment and I'd say rocking a touch and mm. yeah. just it's a, it's, 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 a, it's a moment that increasingly we would say, well, now regardless of HIA or not, he's done. He's off. And so he was helped off the pitch and I would still, still say very gingerly, like his hand out kind of uh, give me guidance here as I yeah. kind of come off the pitch. So... There's an independent doctor who did the HIA. It wasn't an Irish doctor. It's an independent doctor. He seems to have passed his HIA and he comes back on. Yeah. And plays out the final top of my head 13 minutes of the first half. And then at halftime, we don't see him again. And so this raises questions because the rule is, and here is the contradiction in the rule. This is the contradiction that rugby has to answer for here as much as, you know, I'm not so sure this is necessarily an an Irish situation because they they were within their rights, according to the rules, to leave Lockman on. But but where maybe they do have to answer a question is that the rule is any player showing clear signs of concussion or, here's the key phrase, or suspected concussion must be removed from the field of play without returning. So the very... Simple question there is, did Lockman, in the eyes of most of us, and we're not trained doctors and we didn't speak to Lockman and we don't know him, but in the eyes of most of us, did he suffer a suspected concussion? I think the answer of 99.9% of people would be suspected concussion, yeah. Can't say it was a definite concussion, but definitely suspected. Therefore, the rule is he should be removed from the field of play and he should not return. On the other hand, you've got this HIA thing. Well, that's what I was going to say. You've got a doctor who is analysing him and it's up to him whether he's... whether that's like a suspected concussion or not in his eyes, not in ours. Now, I think that might be where there's a flaw in the in, in, in the rules because if there is, there's obviously a very specific test for concussion and he could have passed all of those things by, for loads of different reasons. The brain is a very, very, very complicated thing and all signs could pass afterwards. Whereas if you see, it, it, just, it just doesn't look good in 2022 and especially as rugby, in my mind, anyway, it's a while since we've had one of these. It feels to me like it's not unheard of, don't get me wrong, mm. but it feels like 10 years ago, five years ago, even met a push, we're seeing this every two weeks mm. and we're having this conversation and it seems to be gone. So for for that to happen again, and maybe it is just a flaw in the rules, maybe he passed all of his tests and the doctor has no choice but just to say, do you know what, I can't say anything against this, This is uh, he seems fine to me, off you go. Whereas all logic, and yeah. take that out of it and give the doctors a little bit of leeway, which they may have or not, I don't know, but it, you would suspect not, to say, 
a hit like that, he shouldn't be playing rugby anymore. There are signs here that we might not be able to see yet. Yes. We'll just have to, I think, speak to somebody uh, in authority in world rugby or elsewhere about what takes precedence here. The suspected concussion, therefore you're off and you don't come back on rule or you've passed the HIA. So even though you've had a suspected concussion, you get to go back on. On the basis of today, it suggests the HIA passing. So these are two separate things. So you go for a head injury assessment to see whether or not you have the concussion, but the suspected concussion could be a referee's call? You know, I don't know. It's very. It, it sounds. It sounds like there's well, maybe that's room for interpretation. There, we'll, you know? we'll, we'll have to dig into who decides what a suspected concussion is in the eyes of everybody watching. Was it a suspected concussion? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, Richie. You probably kept an eye on some of the fallout. The, I mean, the Irish medical team uh, generally. I and I no reason to say this other than just it's what I've seen. But I think over however many years you want to go back have from the top of my head behaved impeccably on this front. One of the reasons I was surprised to see Lockman back on. But uh, regardless of the specifics of the Lockman situation, that uh, contradiction between HIA versus a suspicion of a concussion, uh, therefore you must be removed from the field of play. That is a very glaring contradiction. Yeah, the... It could be in terms of steps because obviously the suspected concussion comes into play when we see him try to get up from that contact and he's helping the pitch and it's quite clear, as you said there, you can look at him and say, you have a, I suspect you have a concussion. Mm. So therefore you have to be removed from the field of play. But once he's cleared by the HIA doctor, there's no impediment to him coming back on. And you have to, like, and literally you just have to trust the you know the the well the trustworthiness essentially of of everybody involved here and presume that they are totally on the level and that there's nothing to gain from sending Jeremy Lockman back on for you know at tops he would have been taken off after an hour anyway and mm. um, if he had been fully fit so to send him back on for 40 minutes or so uh, in a warm up game for the first test there's no benefit to trying to circumvent any rules if that is what was going on and I don't think there was and secondly you would have to trust the opinion of an independent doctor who has assessed him and thought yeah you're okay to go back on Yeah, uh, it, it can always happen that subsequent to him going back on and he's actually in the cut and thrust of being in a game and running around then his brain can react differently and, and decide that actually no uh, I haven't up to continuing on here and, and that might have been what happened at half time when he was replaced by Keane Healy but either way the fact that we're even having this conversation doesn't do rugby any favours because it just makes people question the safety of the sport in general if at the very top level there are still grey areas and question marks that aren't and can't really be satisf- answered in a satisfactory manner in fairness to the Irish medical team and to Andy Farrell, you know, halftime might have been the first time that they actually got to properly assess. You know, if you're doing a HIA, you're probably pretty quickly in with the independent. Yeah. You know, I don't know if they're, they're I think that's probably, they made the call when they when they got the chance to spend some time with them anyway. Yeah. Like, that's, that's clear. So, you know, I, I don't know, obviously, what went on for those 20 minutes in between, but. And, and I, I, do, I don't think any independent doctor or any doctor full stop with either team in the main. Like there was a very poor incident in an Italy-England under-20s game in this year's Six Nations. Oh, yeah. but, wow. but in the main, I think any independent doctor is 
uh, you know, as impeccable credentials if they're appointed to a match like this and will carry out the HIA to the letter. Yeah, I think for, the days for, of leave me on, Doc, I'm yeah, okay, it, are gone. It like. calls into question the HIA once again, which, yeah. you know, people have, have been questioning for uh, quite some time. You know, Barry O'Driscoll and others have, have just thought, well, it's a nonsense. You know, suspected concussion, you're off. That has to be the rule because this HIA thing, like, yeah. is a bit too arbitrary and just a moment in time. Anyway... We'll come back to that. I suspect I suspect this will become a, a big talking point and deservedly so. But uh, Farrell and the Irish camp, I think, deserve, uh, you know, another 24 hours to maybe answer questions, which will probably be asked overnight by the journalists down there. In the meantime, Richie, he was naturally talking about the performance as well. Yeah, regardless of the results, Farrell insists the benefits of today's game ahead of next year's World Cup are incalculable. But I said it during the week, this, this, this game is... It's huge to us, and, and the next Murray game is they're just as important as, as the test matches because um, you know it's well documented that there's um, been um, seldom chances of, of playing international rugby, especially especially away uh, abroad on tour over the last three years, and uh, you try and find ways of giving people a chance because before the World Cup, um, there isn't that much time. Time is running out as far as that's concerned, so we've got to find out about people and give them an opportunity. Yeah, Andy Farrell there. There were five Irish debutants, it must be said. The game was over at half-time. The Marys scored some amazing tries from deep in their own half and went the length of the pitch. Ireland continually kicked to their back three, who looked very dangerous, and Irish discipline was poor and the Irish line speed was navigated very well by the Marys. I mean, Ireland, Irish players shooting up and still Marys were getting to the edges and causing all sorts of problems. So it was certainly a very comprehensive uh, first half for the Marys and then things levelled off a touch in the second half, but the game was dead at that stage. So Liam Toland, Fiona Hayes on the way after eight o'clock. But uh, suddenly the, well, we must, we'll beat the Marys once and get <laughs> one win against the All Blacks. So we're now down to one chance against the Marys who looked really up for it. I was saying to you yesterday on the show that like a bad performance and result today you get that feeling on a tour. You you mentioned it there at the start of the show. You get that feeling on a tour pretty quickly that like there's a negative momentum that builds quickly and it can happen. Now, in fairness, you're going to have 15, 14, 15 new faces uh, at the weekend. So it shouldn't massively impact. But you do have that fear mm. that, you know, this is all not going well. And now we go to Eden Park mm. on Saturday and suddenly that doesn't go well. And it's going to be a long a long two weeks after that, you know. So it wasn't what we wanted to see this morning. I think we wanted to see Ireland's experimental lineup kind of express themselves and feel like that they were, you know, pushing for test places yeah. by the end of the tour. And it's not what we got. So you're really just like, as, as Andy Farrell might say, that that's going to stand to them come the World Cup. I don't know if it's going to stand to them for the next three weeks. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, you would think it's really in their favour that there seems to be a good morale and a real enjoyment yeah. about an Andy Farrell camp because if there's ever a country and ever a time of year where it can unravel and start to feel dark and miserable, <laughs> it is New Zealand summer tour. In July, having been playing rugby since, what, August, September? Oh, it's like 13, 14 months for a season for some of these players. There's a text in, as I understand it, a suspected concussion is established by a failed HIA. I'll have to follow up on that point and check that. But even just in taking away medical terms for a second... When you think about it, why do you have a HIA? It's because you've seen an incident which is, in effect, a suspected concussion. There's a, there is a, a contradictory, contradictory element in that whole sphere. And 
I, I don't know how rugby gets around it, you know. And, and, and one of the reasons actually that we haven't had conversations like this too often of late is we've become almost, uh, or it's been normalised that we will hear so-and-so pass their HIA, but we just kept them off anyway. That's become yeah. the thing. But, you know, one of the glaring questions there is then, what? Like, so do we need, to, what's the HIA, where's the HIA? Yeah. With the standing that, of the HIA. That's again. it, actually. And that, you, that's actually a really interesting point that that's almost become the standard because that might be going back to what I said earlier about, like, we feel like we've moved past that in rugby. And that might be more to do with coaching decisions and a more mature, uh, you know, organisation around these teams than actually the HIA having improved in any way, shape, or form. That's my sense. It's more yeah. cultural than medical. Yeah. Richie, we have Wimbledon. Yeah, one other rugby line, actually, Joe, before we move oh, yeah. on to, to Wimbledon. The under-20s are in action at the moment, uh, the Ireland under-20s, of course. Uh, in the summer series down in Verona, there are 16 minutes played there and Ireland trailing the Springboks by seven points to nil. Uh, but as you mentioned there, at Wimbledon, Andy Murray lost the first set of his Wimbledon second round match, 6-4 to John Isner. It's 5-5 in the second. Murray will hope to avoid a similar fate to that of Emma Raducanu, the US Open champion, beating it straight this evening by the former world number four, Caroline Garcia. The French woman is a potential quarter final opponent for Ange Jabeur who's supposed to be in action later of course light dependent now at this stage against the Polish qualifier Katarzyna Kawa uh, Radikani wasn't the only women's seed to lose today the second seed and a Contevate lost in straight sets to Yula Niemeyer 2017 champion Garbinia Magurtha lost her rain delayed first round match to Hrit Menon also in straight sets but there were wins today for last year's beaten finalist Karolina Pliskova 8 seed Jessica Bagula and the former French Open champion Yelena Ostapenko men's third seed Kasper Ruud is out though beaten in four sets by Ugo Umber no such worries for top seed Novak Djokovic who sailed into round three with a straight sets win today over Tanasi Kokonakis and while Harmony Tan has upset her doubles partner Tamara Korpach after pulling out of their opening match at Wimbledon with a tie problem the French woman won an epic singles encounter against Serena Williams on centre court last night but Korpach has written on Instagram saying if you're broken after a three hour match the day before you can't play professional uh, while she won't be drawn on a potential return to Wimbledon Williams said after last night's match and defeat to Tan that she still has plans to play on at least in the immediate term um it definitely makes me want to hit the practice courts because you know when you're playing not bad and you're so close and you know just like i said any other opponent probably would have suited my game better um so yeah i feel like that um it definitely get, it's actually kind of like okay serena you're you could do this if you want any part of you want to play the Grand Slam of your home country this September? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you're at home and especially in New York and the U.S. Open and um, that being the first place I've won a Grand Slam is something that's always super special. Your first time is always special. So um, there's definitely, you know, lots of motivation to get better and to play you know, at home. Luke Jensen with his very shortly uh, text in saying once again, the skill set of the New Zealanders, uh, really this, the decisive factor, not least considering the weather, says Tony. I know it was like that ball was dry the way they were flinging it around. It was uh, really impressive. Their joy to watch. Sometimes when we watch Six Nations or maybe uh, like Heineken Cup games or whatever, we kind of talk about the improvement of Irish rugby players in that way. And I'm not saying there isn't an improvement, but then I think Sometimes when we go 
down to the southern hemisphere we realise how far we still have to come yeah reality check. you know the, oh great we're offloading it amazing we weren't doing that five years ago it's like but we don't have we don't know the half of it yet like you know I agree I think they would look at Tyke Furling and be like oh yeah he can play a bit <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so, yeah, but, like I mean that I'm, I'm not diminishing Irish players uh, world classness in terms of their effectiveness. Oh yeah, I just think that like some of those individual, like that Tyke Furlong pass yeah. that we all drooled over in the Six Nations. I feel like are not like most New Zealand props could probably do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, most props in the world couldn't, but yeah, no. you, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's unfair. Actually, yeah. maybe it's actually. A bit you know what? I'm taking back that. Yeah, I take Tyke that Furlong back. is the only one who could do that, no, I including I, most backs. I think even they would be like, okay, he's got game. <laughs> I just I just looking here on the World Rugby uh, homepage here on the situation. So uh, they're going through the various protocol because somebody texted in to say that a, a suspected concussion is only established by a HIA. And so I thought, well, okay, that's kind of interesting. So if you look on the World Rugby page, what it says is, and this is what applies, I think, to the Lockman situation. Here's the World Rugby page. Players displaying obvious on-pitch signs of concussion are immediately and permanently removed from play and the completion of the off-field screening tool is not required. So in effect, if somebody on the pitch is displaying signs of concussion, you don't need the HIA. There's no, it doesn't even go to HIA. So the HIA is supposed to be there for a bang to the head that looks possibly innocuous but needs to be looked at. I think that's... You know, pretty, maybe, yeah. maybe I'm being too simple there, but, you know... To, yeah. To, yeah. Well, they're saying if you display on-pitch signs of concussion, you're immediately and permanently removed. This is the World Rugby page and you don't even do the HIA. You're assessed after the game or, or whenever. Well, you can't say the right decision was made this morning then. It's very hard to... I Look, neither Dr. McCormack, Dr. Malloy or Dr. McCarthy, you know, can, can weigh in fully here. But, yeah, I'd look at that. I don't know how you could look at that. I mean, I know you didn't catch the game this morning, but mm. Rich, I don't know how you could look at that and say there isn't some on-sign pitch there of concussion. I mean, again... We are journalists as opposed to doctors, but I think if we saw any player at any level behaving that way after a bang to the head, we would consider that a, an on-pitch sign of concussion. Firstly, I'm delighted you addressed me by my proper title, <laughs> yeah. um, but also, yeah, like the contact alone would give you cause for concern. The fact that uh, Jeremy Lockman uh, couldn't get up immediately and was unsure on his feet and facially looked dazed, that's enough to say, come on off you go. There's no chance of, of, of us taking any chances here on a potential head injury because what I've seen here is enough. Like, Yeah. You're kind of more paleontologist akin to Ross Geller. I feel like I'm George <laughs> Clooney in Eeyore. <laughs> An actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we have a couple of moments left to get through last few stories. Uh, Seamus McEnany. Yeah, gone. Uh, he says managing Monaghan's footballers has been one of the greatest privileges of his life. He's ended his second spell in charge of the Fernie men after three years. McEnany got to Monaghan to last year's Ulster final, but they lost to Mayo this year in the first round of the qualifiers. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, meanwhile, in the past few minutes, has uh, completed his loan move from Chelsea to Inter. €8 million Euro is how much Chelsea are going to receive in terms of a loan fee from Inter. Inter, of course, received €115 million Euro for the Belgian services uh, just this time last year. Uh, well, a bit of movement as well and an interesting one in the first division here at home. Cork City have signed striker Louis Britton. The 21-year-old spent the first half of this season on loan from Bristol City at Waterford, where he is was the joint uh, second top scorer in the first division, scoring 10 goals, but he's now uh, transferring his services uh, east or west, pardon me, over to Turner's Cross and is going to help them get promoted back to the Premier Division. Okay. Luke Jensen has delayed uh, 
five minutes, Richie. So we have five minutes to spare suddenly. Already, the yeah. GACCCC. Yeah, it looks like they're going to meet again tomorrow. <laughs> uh, the Central Competitions Control Committee are uh, going to meet before deciding upon any punishments arising from the Galway Armagh All-Ireland quarterfinal. They met yesterday to go through referee David Coldrick's match report. They have written to the Mead officials seeking clarification around the red card shown specifically to Galway captain Sean Kelly and his Armagh counterpart Aidan Nugent. Galway already making shapes uh, to appeal Kelly's red card and get him cleared to play in their All-Ireland semi-final. David Coldrick writing his match report do you think he was thinking to himself what's the point of this (laughs) (laughs) the time that I have to spend doing this and it's utterly pointless like Like a 5,000 word mini thesis Uh, I don't know I don't know I feel like this story isn't going away anytime soon well thankfully just by dint of the semi-final fast approaching it has to go away quite soon doesn't it in terms of yeah 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 I just think it it could be that we have a long off season coming up and uh, sorting out the, it feels like actually and this actually happened with the hurling a couple of weeks ago and the appeals I feel like it was an appeal too far for a lot of people and it's like while this Fair has been one. going on yeah so while this has been something that Claire and Galway Galway were the ones who actually uh, Fatty was the one who was the most egregiously got off to be honest on the technicality but look yeah Claire and Galway uh, and I feel like it, it it almost reached critical mass of people like have gone from eye rolling to saying and almost laughing about it to saying, do you know what, this actually has to change. And then there's a huge brawl in the football the week after. And it feels like we've just kind of got to the point where they're going to have to do something about this. And by next season, actually have some new rules in place in the way we were talking about last night. You know, so it, it actually, I do actually feel like this isn't going to go away. I feel like we could be talking about this yeah. come autumn. Yeah, we should also keep it all in perspective, though, because Eddie Brennan and James O'Connor are on the way after nine and uh, looking into, you know, some of the clerical Kenny tussles then, like there's an 05 league match, which frankly, by com- you know, so some of the tales from that, which I'm sure we'll get into by comparison with the 99% handbags plus one definitely unacceptable incident from the weekend. But like the game in the last 15 years has got a lot cleaner. Oh, it's massively sanitised, yeah. Like that, the 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 league match I don't specifically remember I've heard tales of it but even the them meeting in 04 like the replay the battle of Turles yeah. is what Eddie referred to it as earlier when I was uh, talking to him about coming on tonight you know yeah. and there's a whole incident with Henry Sheffin it was mad like they were just like killing each other for the whole game and you know those days are gone yeah that was the closest we'll get to that now is the Munster final where there might have been a couple of digs and a couple or a couple of incidents that the Sunday game were able to pull out afterwards but in general most people watching going yeah that was a good hard fair game you know with maybe a couple of incidents that went a little bit too far but back then you know it was accepted and it was people are definitely ready to move on from it but at the same time I do feel like there's been a slight overreaction to what outside of the eye gouge was just stupidity well I thought Darrow Shea in his Irish Times column was saying the worst thing about Sunday's Malay was the politicians making hay out of it. And there was something in Miguel Martin and Catherine Martin rocking up that made everyone think, ah, we, no, we don't need this now. You yeah, can. That was too much. Like the five year old who's come home traumatised by it. <laughs> Let's go behind the curtain. Like I did. We were in the office after the show on uh, Monday and I just, I literally just sighed to you and just said, oh, Catherine Martin's after really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that is just true. It is. I was. I was just annoyed by the fact that on the plinth, though they were asked, both the Taoiseach and the Minister for Sport were talking about this brawl like as if it was an international incident. Mm. You know, I don't think it was a matter of state. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Like five year olds like wrestling. I think he was all right with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> a bit of hand mags, fine. Yeah, so. that's for me. There we go. Or she, excuse me, should say that five year old. So anyway, um, that's the CC CC situation. Richie, just one last story before we do wrap up. We touched on the PK Lewis Hamilton controversy. We've heard from PK. Yeah, Ireland have pulled a penalty back in that under-20s game against the Springboks. But as you mentioned there, Nelson Piquet has apologised wholeheartedly for using a racist word while talking about Lewis Hamilton. The three-time Formula One world champion says he used a colonial term used in Brazilian Portuguese and insists he had no intention to cause offence. He believes the translation being reported in English is not correct. Hamilton called its usage archaic. Mm, Not really much of an apology, to be honest. No, and I, I suspected this would be the defence but mm. I think what was very clear is that Nelson Piquet if he's being honest and the way uh, he used the word as opposed to just saying Hamilton's name it was it was clearly disparaging derogatory and he would have known it was along lines of race you yeah. put those three things together it's very hard to take him seriously here and it also seems he's a track record of uh, saying loose-tongued uh, great thing nonsense yeah yeah like like, he called Nigel Mansell's wife ugly this kind of stuff yeah and I think he accused Ayrton Senna of being gay or like yeah. said it in a derogatory okay. way you know but like He's driving Bolsonaro around I w- <laughs> driving Bolsonaro oh around, there we like, go my god yeah. like I would encourage people if they haven't heard it to listen to our piece with uh, Jess McFadden yesterday because his point there, and that's going to be his defence, is going to be, this was translated into English in a in a uh, sensationalist way, and it's making me out to be something I'm not. And actually, we talked about it yesterday, we went through exactly what, you know, that this is going to be translated in a kind of a slightly inaccurate way, but even so. Mm. And I think that's worth listening to that piece to kind of get a sense of that a non-apology apology like that, despite him saying the word wholeheartedly, uh, you know, isn't really good enough, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't write the apology either. You know, you just yeah. <laughs> these things work. Like, uh, we are out of time. Richie, thanks very much. Dr. Richie, Joe, please. Yes, yes, of course. Thank you. Nice and up. Michael McCarthy, thanks very much. Cheers. 